You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. A uh, very good welcome to you. My name's Christian Corley, and with me this week is Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? Doing great. I am uh, rocking and rolling, I guess. Uh, got a week off next week, which I'm very excited for. So um, this is a good way to cap off the end of the summer, I guess, and uh, glad to be talking to you again. Do you know, you've just given me a blast from the past, one of those sort of, oh, moments, you know, when there's like a, when when there's a pull focus on you and and you you fly back when you yep, said yep. rocking and rolling long-term listeners of the show will probably recall the time that i bought a cigar box guitar there it is there and i have been interested in music and stringed instruments along those sort of lines for many many years so much so that when i was um well, it's kind of inspired by my dad because he played a little bit of guitar, and I mean a little bit. He could basically play House of the Rising Sun, I think, maybe Apache, and that was about it. And um, But he was very interested in making recordings and things when we were children. And so there's there's voice recordings of me when I was like three and four. And it's very little high-pitched voice. Not even, it's not even, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's higher than that. But one of the things I did when I was about five or six was m- make a song called Rock and Rolling Down the Street. That was your first hit single? And you just reminded me of it for the first time in about a decade. There's a recording of it somewhere, yeah. That's that's pretty <laughs> cool. I um I love those moments, like the like something like a I, I call it like a locked memory or something, where like you totally forgot about it for years and then all of a sudden it just comes to the forefront and it's like, whoa, how did I forget about that? I actually had that yeah. this past weekend. Um, I went with some friends to like, a, I guess they call it like a family fun center. Basically, it's a place with like mini golf and go karts and that kind oh, of yeah. thing. And I thought that I'd never been there before. But then I told my mom and she said that we went there when I was like three, like four, probably like barely cognizant. Um, so it was kind of kind of interesting to be back there after like, technically it was, I, I'd been there before, but it was so long ago that I had like the faintest of memories, but barely. So yeah, it's always a cool psychological experience yes it is it is um it doesn't bear any particular uh, relevance to what we're discussing this week or does it i mean in a way it might but before we get on to that just a quick summary if you're new to the really useful podcast uh, what we do we go through the um, most recent tech news that matters to how you're using your devices not who's who's hired who or any of that nonsense basically the stuff that matters to the devices that you're using or have in your possession and then we'll go on to some tips and tricks and discussions about uh, hardware or software and then we'll finish with recommendations along similar lines throughout the show we will be mentioning articles mostly on makeuseof.com the links to those and anything else we mention you will find in the show notes that accompany this week's podcast let's kick off with the news and the uh, announcement from Microsoft that the Xbox 360 digital store is closing down. That will occur in July 2024. It's 18 years old, that console. It was launched in 2005, uh, the original version. And like uh, other older systems from the same generation, thinking of the Nintendo Wii and the Wii U, you know, the, the people that manage the servers that serve the uh, content are uh, deciding to close them. 
It's sad news, isn't it? I'm glad it, it appears to be remaining in some way functional. Uh, if you you know using legacy stuff on the Xbox One and Xbox Series hardware, but even so, it's still sad, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. It's always sad when we see one of these stores close. I mean, we had it a few years ago, if you remember. I think we covered it at the time when Sony announced that the uh, PS Vita and PS3 stores were going to close, and then they back mm. actually backtracked on that because there was such outcry from people. Um, and then, of course, um, earlier this year in March of 23, we had the uh, Wii U and 3DS eShops close, which resulted in hundreds of games just disappearing, basically, um, alongside a lot of Nintendo's own back catalog that you now can't play officially outside of, uh, if you don't already have them on your system, I should say. Yeah. So, yeah, um, the good news with this, I was doing some reading about this um, when we were going to talk about it, and I'm glad to see that the backward compatibility uh, for the later Xbox systems is not being affected, which means that if um, there's a game like Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, for example, if it's if it's compatible on the newer systems, you can still buy it on your Xbox Series console. You can still buy that 360 yeah. game. What you won't be able to do is use your 360 to buy Xbox 360 games on that store. So basically if it's not backwards compatible it's going to disappear in about a year when this goes through so yeah it's a shame to see i mean I'm, there's a lot the xbox 360 was one of the first with xbox live arcade that was where a lot of like early indie games super meat boy uh braid those type of games that's where they got their start um outside of pcs so it's kind of sad to see that shutting down and that'll make the, the ps3 store excuse me the only store that's really live from that era anymore um assuming they don't shut it down before next year well, do you know what? The Xbox 360 was the first game console I got. Um, previously, I'd only used computers. Uh, I do have a soft spot for the 360. My own 360 is uh, featured in a couple of articles on makeusoft.com, actually, um, concerning uh, Red Rings of Death. Unfortunately, I found that the solution only lasted about 12 months, and then it died again, which, uh, you know, that was a big issue for the early Xbox oh, 360. Those early models were horrendous, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, too, something else we should note about this is that, um, oddly, multiplayer and online services are staying. So um, you can oh, still, yeah. if you, any Xbox 360 games you have, including on a 360 console, you can still play online for the time being and they'll still get updates. Or you can, if you bought like a used copy of a game on disc, you can pop that game into your system and it'll still update to the latest version. So if you have the game, you can still play it. You just won't be able to buy non-backwards compatible games on the older console. So... Definitely still a Excellent. blow for game preservation, and I'm sure people, at least we have a year. Um, I, don't, I think I mentioned this when this happened earlier this year, but um, The Completionist is a YouTube channel. Um, his stick is that he like completes games 100% and talks about the experience of doing that. He did a video where he bought, him and his team bought every single Wii U and 3DS eShop game before they went offline. And it was like a mm -hmm. massive project, partially because being, of course, Nintendo, it's super hard to like buy games in bulk. You know, you have to like go through every single checkout process for every single game and stuff like that. So he was limited by that. But yeah, I wonder if he'll do something like this to try to preserve all 360 titles that are going to disappear otherwise. That might be interesting. Uh, I mean, we'll move on to the next story. It, it does have a kind of a link to the Xbox 360 because it's a game that came out on the Xbox 360, Red Dead Redemption uh, itself. Um, it's it's considered by many people who don't know to be the first of the 
Red Dead games, but it's not. There's actually a game before that called Red Dead Revolver, uh, which came out on the Xbox. Red Dead Redemption came out about uh, 2009, I think, and 2010, I beg your pardon. And it has just been reissued for Nintendo Switch on PlayStation 4. Xbox users can still buy the 360 version. In fact, I saw today, Xbox users can buy both games for $100. $50 a piece, or so $50 for the brand new game, well, not the new game, the five-year-old game, and $50 for the 12-year-old game. That's always nice. It sounds like Nintendo. No, that's uh, Microsoft who are doing that. I'm not sure if that's... That won't be the case with Nintendo, I think, because I'm not sure. I'd, I don't think RDR2 is out on Nintendo. But Red, oh, sorry, Red Dead I was saying... The, I was referring to how Nintendo tends to, like, sell, hey, Skyward Sword, we... we remastered it and we're charging you $60 for a port of a 10 year old Wii game. That's what I like the way they do that. Well, it's, this is a funny release. Um, it is now available for Nintendo switch and PlayStation four. It is basically a full price game, $50. What's interesting about this is although it's not a remaster, it does have some tweaks in there. There's been a comparison of its graphics uh, between the xbox 360 and the nintendo switch versions and these comparisons reveal that lighting and shading have been improved although the game retains the same engine in narrower scope than the sequel uh, so there's there's a useful comparison which shows that it does look a little bit nicer and prettier but it, it can't be you know it doesn't qualify as a remaster which is a shame because a full remaster would have been nice but you know Rockstar aren't known for treating their old games particularly well for re-release. They're very much a kind case of uh, it's essentially window dressing and then a high price, isn't it, that they slap on? Right. See the recent disastrous re-releases of GTA games and also the fact exactly. that GTA Five Online just continues to print money. So why would Rockstar care? Basically, seems to be yeah. the uh, the driving motivation there. But if you are interested in uh, continuing the uh, adventure of uh, John Marston, which uh, commences in the uh, sort of uh, conclusion or epilogue of Red Dead Redemption 2, that's what happens with Red Dead Redemption. That's what it's about. It's about John Marston. Okay, we'll move on now to our tips and tricks. Now, uh, it's interesting. We were sticking with Xbox again, uh, this time Xbox... Uh, one and Xbox Series XS controllers. Uh, a couple of things. I, I'm going to introduce this with uh, the fact that I've just published the review of the uh, GPD Win 4. It's now live, I'll make use of my video review, of that uh, handheld console. It's a kind of a Steam Deck compared to Ben, but um, while it's more powerful than the Steam Deck, it's not as comfortable. And one of the um, comparisons I used was the Xbox One controller, which I think is probably... I mean, I haven't used the... PS4 or PS5 controllers extensively. The PS5 one's quite different to the PS4 one, isn't it? Um, so I'm, I've only held one of them once, so I can't really speak to um, how long that takes um, to uh, wear your hands out or how comfortable it is long-term. But I've always found the Xbox One controller and the later Xbox Series controllers to be really, really comfortable. And um, it's so much so that we've probably got about half a dozen dozen of them in our house because everyone just likes holding them. You don't tend to get so tired using these, um, which might explain why people want to attach them to their PCs. I agree with you that the, uh, I think, I mean, I've been a PlayStation person for a long time, but I, I do think that one of the best things Xbox has going for is that the controller is amazing. Um, people always say the Xbox 360 controller, speaking of which, was so great. I don't agree with that because the D-pad was really mushy and annoying. 
and I, I didn't like the control stick grips, but I mean, with the, with the Xbox One and then the Series controller, I think it's basically as perfect as like a game controller can get. Mm. I do like the um, adaptive triggers on the PS5 controller, like that's cool, but it doesn't, it's not necessary. Um, so it's kind of like whether you prefer like a perfected standard or like a little bit of innovation between those two. But anyway, uh, getting back to the point, yeah, so um, the Xbox controller is a great choice for controlling games on your PC if you want to play with a controller. Um, obviously, Microsoft being behind both Xbox and Windows makes make, means that they play well together. So yeah, if you want to use an Xbox controller with your PC, with any game that works with it, uh, the easiest way and the cleanest way is just to connect a USB cable to the controller, and it'll work like any other controller you would expect. If you have Windows 10 or 11, your controller should be recognized instantly if you're using an older unsupported version. First of all, upgrade. Uh, second of all, you can download uh, drivers. It should happen automatically, um, but it should be pretty seamless either way. And that's just a regular old USB cable. So micro USB if you have an Xbox One controller uh, or USB-C if you have a newer Xbox Series controller. Uh, you can also connect your Xbox controller to your computer uh, with Bluetooth. Uh, this works with any of the Xbox Series controllers. Uh, if you have an Xbox One controller, it only works with the newer revised model. So um, there's an illustration in the attached article that'll help explain this if it's not clear. But basically, the older model of the Xbox One controller has plastic all along the top of the controller including where the Xbox button is. So if you have that older model, you can't connect it via Bluetooth to anything. Uh, but if you have a later model, which doesn't have that plastic there, or if you have an Xbox Series controller, and you'll know you have that because there's the capture button in the middle, there's a third button in the center that's not on the Xbox One controller. If you have any of those newer ones, you can pair it uh, using Bluetooth, like you'd pair any other device to your computer with Bluetooth, and then use it wirelessly. Um, that'll use the batteries, of course, whereas using it wired won't use the batteries, but that's a trade-off that's up to you. And if, finally, if you have one of those older Xbox One controllers with the plastic at the top, you can use a special adapter Microsoft has called the Xbox Wireless Adapter, which is a very fancy name. And basically, that just mimics the proprietary wireless connection that the Xbox One uses for the controller. So you buy that, plug it into your PC, and then you can use it wirelessly. That's more of a specific option. It doesn't work with Windows 11 officially, and there's no reason to buy that if you have a newer Xbox controller that works with Bluetooth. That's pretty much it. I'd say the only other thing to be aware of is that when you hit the Xbox button on your controller, it tries to connect to the last system that you paired it to. So just be aware that if you're trying to connect it to your computer, um, when you hit that Xbox button, it might try to uh, turn your console on. So yeah. uh, when you're repairing it, you may have to use a USB cable and or uh, just unplug your console for, after shutting it down properly and make sure that... Uh, that's not turning that on, but it, it should be as easy as that. And then most games recognize it. If it doesn't work in the game, it's probably that specific titles problem. The um, am I right in thinking just using the USB cable sort of gets out of that issue? I am ninety five percent sure because I think when you hit the Xbox button, I think the controller like tries to connect to whatever it's connected to with the USB cable. I have two controllers, yeah. but I I like, I use one just with my PC and one just with my system, so I don't. I haven't tried it in a while, but I'm pretty sure it if it's connected with the yeah. cable, it just prioritizes that. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I found that as well. Actually, I bought a charger for the um, Xbox uh, controllers the other day. I didn't. The thing about that is, I just don't understand why they just don't ship as rechargeable. I've wondered that a long time too. Like I said, as a PlayStation fan, that's had I don't say fan. I don't yeah. mean to make it sound like I'm you know a 16 year old, but like as someone who's preferred to use PlayStation, I guess you'd say PlayStation's had rechargeable controllers wirelessly since the PS3. Yeah. I guess I get the Xbox 360 using batteries, but I mean, I can't believe the Xbox Series controllers don't use rechargeable. I mean, that's crazy to me. Um, I know the PS4 and 5, but neither of the controllers' battery life is that great. 
but still, I'd rather charge it every so often than buy new batteries for it. I actually do have, they used to call it the Xbox Play and Charge Kit. I think for the series controllers, it's just called like the Xbox Controller Battery. It's something super generic, but that lets you pop off the back cover. It's a rechargeable battery, so you can charge it with the, uh, the USB cable, which I have in both of mine. And thankfully, that is also backwards compatible. So if you have the, um, I have the Xbox One battery pack, and I just pop that into one of my new controllers, and it works fine. So um, if you play a lot and you don't want to waste the money on batteries, I would recommend getting that rechargeable. It's maybe $25. It's not super crazy expensive, but it is an additional expense uh, when you've already bought a controller. We, we talked about uh, gaming news information earlier on um, you know generally with the release of podcasts we tend to go for more eclectic wider selection of topics although quite often when it's myself and ben it often is just gaming um <laughs> it's we're, we're not sure why that happens it just does um no clue however <laughs> ben suggested a really good article to discuss which is the best gaming news sites and game review sites do you know something ben what's that like many people in our field, uh, the first thing I wanted to do when I discovered that writing for websites was a thing was I wanted to write for game websites. I wanted to review games. Okay. And I got to the point where I could do it uh, on a website, which doesn't exist anymore, though it's been split off into various little parts that are largely inconsequential, it seems. It's very difficult to find my old material. I found a lot of times I actually didn't like reviewing games. Because I started to have to be really critical about them. It, I mean, you know, one might say, well, many games reviewers are particularly critical and they will um, print whatever the uh, publisher tells them to for a few freebies or whatever. I couldn't comment on that because I'm not a part of that world of game reviews. But certainly, when I was reviewing games, it was very difficult to do a proper job of reviewing a game. Because you, know, you might have a game that actually you quite like, but looking at it critically, you've got to kind of be objective about it how do you feel about that yeah that's actually a good, that's a good point i i mostly agree with you because i've only done reviews so i work i did a little bit of work for nintendo life years ago um mostly reviewing like shovelware eShop, and 3ds games there were actually a couple of hidden gems in there um that were good but most of them mm. were just shovelware nonsense and then i did a couple of reviews for make use of as well um in like 2014 15 i reviewed let's see the first Evil Within, um, a couple of the Call of Duties, um, a few other, Resident Evil 7. And I also did like some tips and tricks articles too. Like I played the game right away and I wrote some tips for them. And I agree with you about reviews. Like I I like taking my time with games and just kind of enjoying them and savoring them. Not, not like going slow per se, but I'm not like rushing to finish it necessarily. Mm. So like with yeah. a review, it's that pressure. I mean, we didn't really get games early that often because we're not a big outlet, obviously for games. Um, so we didn't really get review codes early that often. So you're trying to like get through as much of the game as you can while also like you have to stop and take notes. Like if I just played the whole game, and then try to like put my thoughts in at the end, it would not work well. So when something happens, I have to write down like, this is annoying or this was really cool, that kind of thing. I, I agree, it's, it is pretty difficult to put into terms why you don't like a game or something you do like about it. Like, it's easy to just tell a friend like, oh, this level's super cool, but to write about it is actually a pretty difficult skill. So I agree with you. Which brings us nicely to this uh, article that you suggested, uh, the seven best gaming news sites on game review sites. Y you've got a quite, a, quite a mix in this, some of which I'm surprised to see, if I'm honest. 
Uh, well, let me go through the list and tell me which ones you think you're surprised yeah. to see, because I would be curious. So um, I guess a quick word on this, too. Part of this list was birthed by the fact that I won't get into the details, but um, a lot of game sites over the years have had various issues with um, different controversies, whether it was, you know, giving co positive coverage to uh, people they were involved with without disclosing it or uh, investing in Kickstarters and not saying anything, that sort of thing, as well as just like nepotism and also a lot of reviews now have politics and social issues crammed into them if you don't want any of that nonsense this is what that list is for uh, it's focused on the best review sites that actually focus on games not a million other things and don't have all that other nonsense shoved in um, so my number one this isn't necessarily in a specific order but um, the first pick on the list was destructoid I've been following destructoid for a long time it's one of the few sites I would actually like just kind of open up and scroll through um, they don't do a ton of reviews but they are straightforward um, one of the things I like about them is that they have a um, they publish their review uh, scale basically so they say like a one means this a two means this and they say you know reviews don't start at seven like if we give it a five it means it's decent but not amazing so um, Chris Carter is their editor-in-chief uh, he's one of the few people in games media that I like and like I when I when a game comes out I check Destructoid's review and I'm happy when he wrote it because I feel like he usually gets things right so that's why they get my recommendation was that one a surprise for you yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the next one was as well. <laughs> For very different yeah, reasons. Yeah, so... Yeah, next was Games Radar, which again isn't like one of my personal favorite sites, but I picked them, like I said, mainly A, because they focus on games, and B, because they don't have a ton of nonsense crammed in. Um, they offer a pretty decent balance, um, reviews, news, that kind of thing. Um, they also don't review a huge amount of games, like I said, so if you check the um, their recent reviews page right now, there was a lot of hardware on there, so... Particularly if you're a PC gamer, you might enjoy um, reading some of their reviews of hardware more than uh, the games themselves. Um, they also include pros and cons in their reviews that you might like if you like a short summary, that kind of thing. Next is Game Informer. So this one, I remember Game Informer from back in the day when like my friends in school had the physical magazine. Um, it's associated with GameStop now. I don't know who owns what. Um, but Game Informer is actually, it, it has a very old school feel. And I mean that in the best way. Um, it's very, like, there's not a ton of posts on the site. It's 100% focused on gaming. There's no, you know, like I said, no social political nonsense. There's no, nothing about like entertainment really. It's just all games. Um, there's some indie game stuff. There's big game stuff. There's previews. Um, if you like games and you like that old like magazine feel like quality over quantity, I would definitely recommend checking out Game Informer. Um, just very classic in all the best ways, kind of a breath of fresh air. Number four is Metacritic. Um, this isn't. A lot of people have problems with Metacritic. If you're not familiar, it basically takes all of the, the professional reviews, not just for games, but for movies and TV and music as well, and it just aggregates all of them together. So um, if it's a numbered score, it takes those. If it's like ABC, it has a formula for that, and then it weights them based on how much sway the critic has or whatever, and you see one number. So you can check a game and see that it has a 90 out of 100. You know that most people reviewed it quite favorably. Um, so Metacritic doesn't review games itself. It's just an aggregator. Some people have problems with it. Um, various ways that they think, you know, games can't be drilled down to a number, which I think there's some merit to those arguments. So um, there's also OpenCritic, which I haven't used too much, but it's kind of an open sourced um, Metacritic that includes yeah. smaller yeah. sites that aren't just the big boys. So um, Metacritic is nice if you just want a very quick summary because maybe you know there's always those cases at review sites i mentioned this in the article too where like you might not agree with like one person's opinion like one person might say this game's not good but maybe it's an rpg and they don't like rpgs 
they shouldn't be reviewing it. But in that case, sure. an aggregator kind of smooths out all those, like one person didn't like it because they don't like that style of game, that kind of stuff. Uh, number five is kind of a combo pack. So Nintendo Life and then also Push Square, which is their, their uh, all, they're all sites in the same network. So Push Square is their PlayStation site and then Pure Xbox is the same thing for Xbox, obviously. Um, Nintendo Life is a great site for everything uh, Nintendo, which is mostly the Switch now, obviously, but they still um, yep. have older, older articles on the 3DS and Wii U, that kind of thing. Um, same thing where you'll get um, reviews of the newest stuff, obviously. They cover a lot of eShop games too, so some smaller indie reviews if you're interested in that. Um, they also have pretty extensive guides. So if you're ever looking for when a new Nintendo game comes out, they'll publish a lot of content on how to do whatever or the best builds in Zelda or whatever. Um, so that kind of thing, if you, if you're into that, it's great. Um, they have a 10 star review system and then they have pros and cons too. So, um, again, very little social nonsense, just the love of games. I, I like Nintendo Life. Yeah, me too. I've I've liked them for a while. I did do a, a small stint of writing for them, um, yeah. which was unpaid at the time, and uh, I liked it. Just couldn't couldn't keep it up because I needed to be paid for it, obviously. Um, and then Gamespot is number six. Um, same kind of thing as the above. Not one of my personal favorite pages, but easier to recommend than some of the absent names on this list that you'll probably notice um same kind of general thing lots of reviews you'll find any reviews bigger reviews um gamespot also has forums so if you're into that um game facts is part of gamespot probably you know that name one of the biggest game uh forum sites so if you want to talk with other people maybe get some uh, more individual opinions on it check that out um Sometimes there are odd things in the reviews. GameSpot at the bottom does mention like the reviewer played X. Like it'll tell you I played 30 hours of the game and beat it on hard or whatever. Um, occasionally you'll see some reviews that didn't finish it, which is questionable, but overall not too bad. Um, the number seven, which I know some people had a problem with, but I have a reason for this. Um, Christ centered gamer is number seven, probably a smaller site, not one that you've probably heard of compared to the above. Um, while it sounds like this would be an, a site with an obvious bias coming from a Christian background, um, this site actually splits it, its reviews into two parts. So you get the actual review of the game based on music quality controls, all that. And then you have a separate review for the moral content where the game talks, where the reviewer talks about, uh, language, violence, that kind of thing. So, um, mm -hmm. if you are, if you're religious at all, or maybe if you have kids that you're worried about them playing a game with questionable content, you can check that section and see that there's a lot of graphic content, whatever. If you don't care about that, you can skip right past it and still get a good review of the game. That's not the game. The review isn't rooted in how good it is for Christians. It's just a review by someone who's a Christian who mentions that in a separate section. So um, if you don't like it, you know, it's not, it's not shoved on you. Uh, unlike, you know, for example, uh, a review of the PS5 on a certain other website that had a giant section about politics scrubbed in, like smashed into the bottom, um, just shoved on you for no reason. It has nothing to do with it, that kind of thing. Um, and then finally, in general, don't forget that that user written reviews are really good too. So sites like YouTube, uh, GameFAQs that we mentioned, Steam, Twitch, um, Twitch, not so much reviews, but um, on YouTube, you can find reviews for pretty much any game. And some of them are reviews from big sites, but there's also a lot of YouTubers that will do reviews on games big and small and sometimes those can be a lot better because it's one person doing the review and so if you know the kind of games that they usually like you'll know if you can trust their opinion versus a big site that might have a hundred people writing for them and every review will be by somebody different and you won't know if you can if, if your if your opinions line up with them and all that so um yeah check out youtube check out game facts and you see what actual normal people think of games too I, uh, I looked at Metacritic quite a few times over the past few years. Sadly, didn't tell me what I really wanted it to tell me about a certain game. But uh, we, we won't dwell 
on that i i found myself a few quid down but yeah like i say it doesn't mm. matter i must admit i never come across the christ-centered gamer before so that's uh I, I may have to check that one out more regularly when i was initially writing this article i i was looking for like on like reddit threads and stuff of like unbiased not unbiased but like you know just sites that don't cram a bunch of nonsense in and that that one kept coming up people were like i'm i'm not a christian but this site is just you know it just reviews the game it doesn't cram in all this political stuff so that's why i included it um I yeah. agree with Steam reviews. I mean, sometimes if, I, if I'm interested in a game, I, I probably won't play it on Steam. I play it on PlayStation or Switch, but I'll still read the Steam reviews because they can be nice. The thing I don't like about Steam reviews, I'm curious if you agree, um, Steam now has like a funny tag that you can add to reviews. So people will like, I'm trying to think of a stupid example, like for The Witcher 3, you know, they'll play it, they'll have like a thousand hours on it and they'll just type like, it's okay. And it's supposed to be so funny because they just said it's okay when they have so much time yeah. in the game. Stuff like that is like, I don't find that it's not like, I don't need a review to be funny. I just want to hear how the game is. So like those I think sure, are stupid, sure. but if you filter those out, you do get some decent uh, just thoughts from normal players. Okay, so um, great list there. Please check them all out. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, you'll find a link to that article in the show notes. Okay, we've reached that part of the show where we need to start discussing uh, little things called recommendations. And uh, this is uh, basically we uh, find something that we like and then we discuss it. I think I've uh, actually been quite prepared this time and I actually have a thing that I want to actually talk about that I've already prepared and know about in advance and have also played and done it almost specifically for this very purpose of discussion on the show ben and it is a game that i backed on kickstarter or indiegogo a while ago i think it was kickstarter called beyond the long night and it is a pixel style game which you could easily see launching on earlier platforms than uh, what we currently have uh, it's out on steam it came out on Steam a few months ago. I actually um, messed up my uh, pledge for this, and it turned out that I just pledged money in, uh, instead of pledging money to then get something out of it. And so I emailed the uh, developer a few days ago about it, and uh, he sorted it out and uh, gave me the uh, key for it, and it was uh, excellent okay, customer service. So I uh, can recommend that bit alone. But this is a really, it's a strange, mysterious, slightly spooky um game i don't want to give too much away but basically it's a dual thumbstick thing so you're floating around and you use uh, with the left thumbstick right thumbstick to uh, direct your attacks at things and I, I mean that makes it sound like a flipping shoot mode but it's a bit of a sort of like adventure platform rpg sort of thing going on because there's a mystery unfolding with each uh, each room and it's a kind of um, there's no scrolling screens that it flips to a new scre uh, screen each time you uh, exit the screen and there's a map that you have to uncover and various mysteries and characters to talk to on your way it's a very unique take on uh, that type of you know rpg pixely rpg game uh, which i'm really enjoying so that is beyond the long night it's out on steam now it's 14 pounds 99 so I, that's around 20 18 bucks uh, in the u.s yeah, yeah right there you go. So it's it's a really lovely game. And the other thing as well, such an amazing soundtrack. That goes um, a long way. 
just lovely atmospheric music, natural instruments uh, or natural sounding instruments. Obviously, you can d get almost any sound with a synth these days. But there's, there's no sort of like insane electronica. In the, not that I'm against that, but it's just a very calm, sort of uh, just chilled, acoustic-y sounds throughout. And it's I, I just love playing it. I'm not very good at it so far, <laughs> but I do enjoy playing the, the you know that whole atmosphere and experience of actually just you know, plugging in and playing it. It's a good game. So I, that's my recommendation this week. Yeah, I'm looking at the game. It looks pretty, I like the art style. Um, I see the tags yeah. on Steam say that it's an action roguelike and those are, roguelikes are really hit or miss for me. Like I, I, Dicey Dungeons and Hades are both like, I love both of those games and they're both roguelikes, but um, a lot of the ones I've tried, I just haven't clicked with me. Um, yeah, it looks, I mean, it looks, it looks cool. I, like I said, roguelikes are really hit or miss for me, but it almost, it, mm -hmm. it, the map almost looks kind of Metroidvania to me, but I don't see that mentioned at all. Um, so maybe it must not be that, but since there's a time loop in the description too, which that always catches my eye because some of my favorite games have had, uh, like a time loop mechanic. So yeah, sounds cool. Excellent. Okay. We good okay, for my so recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so mine's a little bit unorthodox this week, but stay with me because I'll, I'll loop it back together. So um, my general recommendation for this week is actually PlayStation Plus Extra slash PlayStation Plus Premium. So if you don't know, the very quick version is that uh, in June of 2022, Sony changed it. So instead of it being a service to just get free games each month and play games online, uh, it became kind of a Game Pass style service too. So with PlayStation Plus Extra, you get access to a big catalog. With PlayStation Plus Premium, you get access to even more, including uh, older PlayStation titles. So um, I signed up for it because there was a deal a while ago. I thought, oh, I'll give it a try. And I've been really happy with it. It's really cool to have this giant selection of games to just try. And if you don't like them, you don't like them. Um, so a couple of highlights recently for me, um, I played the Sly Cooper games, well, Sly Cooper 1 when I was a kid on PS2. And I played the first one. Um, and then I played the second one uh, when a friend let me borrow it in high school. I never played the third one. And the Sly Collection was on PlayStation Plus Premium for streaming. So I finally got to play that game. Um, didn't have to drag my PS3 out, just play it through streaming. And it was actually pretty solid. Another use case that was cool, uh, a friend of mine is really into like trophy and achievement hunting. So I help him with some co-op games. We played through all the Overcooked games together, which were fun. Um, and we played Moving Out recently, which I don't know if I give that as a recommendation, but Moving Out is similar to Overcooked. You have to, um, you're like a moving company and you have to load furniture into the truck, that kind of thing. So right. um, Moving Out 2 just came out and it is part of PlayStation Plus Extra. In fact, it, it was included on launch day. Um, so I was able to play that with him, start getting the trophies with him uh, without having to buy the game. So it's one of those things where it really does pay for itself. Um, a game you might've tried comes up on the service. You can try it for no extra cost. And in my case, next week uh, at the time of this recording, I'm really excited because a, a new indie Japanese RPG called Sea of Stars is coming out. Um, it's made by a developer that made the first game. Uh, the first game is called The Messenger. I might have recommended that before. Um, but that was like a 2D platformer that was like a Ninja Gaiden style game. Uh, and then this one is a JRPG. So they're doing something totally different. Uh, and I'm really excited for it. So I'm, I'm able to play it the day it comes out without having to buy it separately. So um, yeah, I'd recommend checking both of those games. Well, I don't know about Sea of Stars yet. I'm assuming it'll be good. Um, but The Messenger is great if you uh, have not played that in a, an action 8-bit 
RPG like Ninja Gaiden comes to mind, but there's a twist in it. I won't spoil, but um, it's a really solid game. Mm. So yeah, I would say if you don't have PlayStation Plus or Game Pass, if you're on Xbox, I'd definitely consider giving it a look, even just for a few months. You might be surprised kind of what you scroll through the list and decide to try uh, when you have access to all those games without having to buy one and then realize you don't like it. So kind of a broad recommendation, but I, I think uh, it's one worth looking at if you haven't. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a good recommendation, actually. Okay. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast. Uh, as I mentioned, and I will continue to do so because, you know, some people forget or they don't quite follow or, you know, it might not be particularly obvious that what we've discussed has actually got a specific link, but you will find links to everything we've discussed in the show notes. And uh, if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it out. We'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us.